Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers just like you and me. I'm here with Mike Hollis and Dustin Walters. Guys, how's it going? Doing great, Ben. Glad to be here on the show today and uh, excited to have another discussion on some of the thought of F. Leroy Four Lines and glad to be making a return to our Four Lindsay and Fridays today. Yes, happy Four Lindsayan. Friday, or as the late F. Leroy Fourlines would say, happy Forlensian Friday. Forlensian Friday. Well, it's actually not Forlensian Friday. Well, it's Forlensian Friday a week late because last week we did a, a New Year's type podcast release for uh, for last week, but it is Forlensian Friday and we have um, a good podcast for you today, continuing our study of biblical ethics where we are looking at chapter three, which discussion is built around um, sort of moving forward out of the theological foundation for ethics in um, the ways in which we live every single day. Um, so this is, I think, Mike's first for Lindsay and Friday in the ethics book. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe just as a good starter, we can look at um, a little bit of an overview, but maybe Mike, just give us a little bit of your thoughts on how theology might inform your ethics, if you can do that in a couple of minutes. Well, I mean, ethics is just the outworking of <clears throat> of our values, or our, our principles, our doctrines, and so ethics relates to every square inch of Christian living. It's the application of our theology, and uh, certainly in today's climate, cultural climate, there are a lot of ethical type questions that Christians are dealing with especially as it relates to, you know, the whole marriage, sexuality. Um, Supreme Court's had to deal with some very hot topic, hot button issues. And so, like, we're all asking ethical questions and um, trying to see biblically how to how to respond to some very interesting, unprecedented issues, perhaps. Uh, it's probably a good reminder for us that, you know, Solomon in Ecclesiastes or Koheleth, you know, uh, indicates like there's nothing new under the sun. And so we're dealing with things that have maybe new expressions, but they're not new entirely. But uh, ethics is just the outworking of our convictions and the outworking of our faith. It's simply just putting theology in blue jeans and having boots on the ground. So with what Four Lines is doing in biblical ethics is laying out a foundation biblically and theologically for our faith and practice rooted in the sufficiency of Scripture, rooted in our theological convictions, and then seeking to let that flow out of what, what does life look like as a Christian? How do we live as Christians in the world as we approach various issues? And uh, the foundation that he lays out is those four ideals or the four principles, four virtues of wisdom, holiness, love, ideals. And so using those as, as a framework by which we then take ethical issues or questions and uh, seek to answer them biblically and theologically, and often historically, and according with apostolic tradition and that of the church. So simply, it's just the outworking of what we believe the Bible teaches about a variety of issues. And uh, so it's important that we have a good foundation for ethics, because we're dealing with some things now that you can tell there's a lot of uh, uninformed opinions, or even uh, emotional opinions on things that aren't necessarily rooted in the in the truth of Scripture, but there's a heightened a heightened emotionalism connected to certain things just on kind of the cultural milieu of the day. So what Four Lines did in his 
his biblical ethics book is so practical for us today to know what the Bible teaches and then seek to apply the, the biblical prescription for these various issues that affect everyday life. I think that's good. And I think um, mentioning the the four basic values is helpful because it's the four basic values that sort of are the outflow of the foundation that we have and that we are presented with that four lines presents. But obviously, you know, all, all conservative evangelical Christians are going to agree with that, that the only way we have ethics is because of the holiness and the and the moral character of who God is and what he does and how he does it. And so what Mike is essentially saying is that it's God's character revealed to us in scripture that informs us of who we are, informs us of who he is, but then informs us for how we ought to live as his children. Um and so I, I think that's 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 helpful to understand been on that point about um, having a foundation for ethics, I just wanted to jump in there and say that this is no doubt a presupposition that we we affirm without any regret. It's, it's that um, the we can't just do whatever we want to do. Um, humans are not free in that sense, which is a presuppositional commitment to believe that there is a God who has revealed himself in the pages of Scripture and to believe that that's even important, um, because we're we're not making up morality from ourselves, and even even the longing um, in human culture for right and wrong, uh, it flows from the very nature of God. So all things are theological, uh, even though people will try to silence the Lord, people will try to repress it. That is the mode of secularism. And we've seen that secularism ultimately is an experiment that fails. And we see that climax really in the 20th century, where you've got where wars going on, um, you've got the rise of communism and all this. Uh, we see the failure, failure of the secular humanist experiment. And I think as we get into these four basic values today in the podcast, we'll see that Forlons isn't arbitrarily picking up some topics that he likes but he's actually saying these are things that God himself embodies, which is the very starting point of any ethic that could result. Yeah, yeah he, he's good to know, too, like every ethical issue or every ethical category flows for a Christian flows out of the very character of God. And so what we're dealing with is God's character, first and foremost, and as a, as a Christian valuing. God's majesty, his holiness, his wisdom, his love, and seeking to emulate his character through our own lives as we answer and deal with with ethical categories that often are very broad. You know, there's a lot that we could talk about today with 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 ethics, but Dustin, what you're getting at is that all of this flows out of who God is. Mm-hmm. How we live flows from who God is. And that's for our 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 dear listener, that's what we're getting at here is we're not free to decide morality. We're not free to even voice perhaps our own conclusions on some very hot topic ethical issues. What we're wanting to do, as Four Lines laid out, is simply relay in our answers who God is, how he has spoken in his word, and that that's a binding thing for us that we can't we can't step outside the bounds of. 
So that's really what you're getting. And I appreciate that clarification for our listener. Yeah. And it's important to remember how four lines kind of cases the four basic values, which is all the third chapter is about is the four basic values. But um, his specific um, kind of proposition here is that one, all of these values are present in God the Father, but it is these values specifically that is holiness, wisdom, love, and ideals that are, he calls, the building materials from which the structure of ethics is built. And so when we don't have these basic values, we don't have a complete ethical system because we're not following the the, the system that God has ordained. So let's look then, let's just, let's just take these in turn. I think this is the best way to do this. Um, let's talk about holiness first. Um, there is something to be said about holiness that where it's unachievable, but it's achievable. And um, Four Lines in Quest calls it, uh, there's positional sanctification and there's experiential sanctification. Um, that is positional sanctification is positionally I'm right before God through justification. That is through uh, the blood of Christ. But experientially in life, I'm growing. I'm always growing. Uh, Christianity, the Christian life, the Christian is a work in progress, so to speak. Um, so when we talk about holiness, we're talking specifically about separation from sin, conformity um, to righteousness, a devotion to God from the entire self. Um, but, but so what are some things guys that, I, that, that relates when it comes to holiness and ethics? Holiness is the idea that there is a separation. There is a just, there is a such thing as unjust and holiness uh, is actually rooted in God's standard. So, Holiness is separation from sin, conformity to righteousness, and dedication to God. That's what one said. Well, I would add to that, Ben, you talked about positional, experiential, that what ethics is getting to is in light of who we are in Christ, ethics speaks to how we live as Christians. And so if God's primary attribute is holiness, four lines touches on that, and I, I think that's the position that we would take. Mm-hmm. Um, that holiness is God's primary attribute. Everything about God flows through his holiness that he himself is set apart. Then the way in which we live in Christ as Christians is also set apart. That often looks like swimming upstream. And we're seeing that probably more today than ever in ethical con- ethical questions, ethical issues, is that Christians are often painted in such harsh, broad, unkind categories with unkind descriptions and some of that is probably true to our own fault. However, I think for a Christian to take an ethical position that is not contrary to popular cultural milieu is just perhaps not in step with Scripture. And so in our ethics, we're seeking to live out the holiness of God in our own lives as we're, we're trying to become more like Christ through the help of the Spirit, through the agency of the Word. And through that, the way in which our ethics looks like compared to everyone else and every other system of thought should be different and set apart and distinct, that we really do care for justice. We really do long for righteousness. We do long for evil to be silenced. And that ethics isn't just this in theory, but we're seeking the outworking of justice and righteousness and holiness and faithfulness and truth 
in and through these very difficult, difficult things, which is why we need Christians who are working in these various spheres of life, because we need to be able to speak into those those areas in a way that is holistic, that does value the holiness of God, the holiness of the Christian. And we're seeking to transform the world, seeking to make this world more like Christ as we're bringing it, ushering it to him uh, through the way in which we engage in these various ethical issues. And so if God's primary attribute is holiness, then our primary pursuit as a Christian is to be holy unto the Lord as we're being conformed more into his image. And then through that, we're also seeking to to value holiness and righteousness and truth. As Dustin talks about these standards, we want these standards to be the norm for the world, not just uh, as they're viewed today as some kind of radical ostracizing uh, position. We, we want to see God's truth break into every area of life. As, as uh, Abraham Kuyper talks about, there is not one square inch in all of human creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, doesn't cry mine. And if that's true, then we want to be about God's, God's providential care. We also want to be about his holiness in, in these various complicated issues. I lost my train of thought earlier, Mike, but you brought it back in with the objective standards. The part that I was saying as a presupposition is that we believe there are objective standards. Many of our unbelieving friends and neighbors do not think that there is a standard. Um, just everybody do whatever they want. What you get as a result of that, let's talk about the sexual revolution. Let's just go right there. You've got the hippie movement of the 60s and 70s where licentiousness, sexuality, freedom of expression were just so prioritized that you've got that going. And now we have the transgender movement. And yet, what you see happen is this trajectory from modernism to postmodernism to the post-Christian era that we find ourselves in now is that this sexual revolution that we're dealing with, the rampant fatherlessness, the uh, excessive abortions, all of that is connected to a, a uh, men using women's showers in athletic events. All of that, Mike, is, is connected to this idea that we can make up our own standard or that there is no standard. And it's just, it's internally incoherent. It's logically inconsistent and it's biblically an untruth, a lie. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's Peter reflecting Leviticus, be ye holy for I am holy. And I think what, what we're all getting at here is we're all kind of beating around the same bush, if you will. But we're, what we're saying is that, Holiness is really the avenue for our Christian morality because holiness is separation from sin. Holiness is setting yourself apart to sin as least as we possibly can to glorify God in our body and the way we live. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. And so in in the ways in which we act out that morality— that's ethics. That's 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 doing ethical. That's living in uh, in ethical ways. So it's our morality. It's our holiness. It's it's the the standard by which we live that informs our ethics. So when we look at morality and we see there's right and there's wrong, then on things like abortion or on things like transgenderism or homosexuality or you know um, euthanasia or um, you know, the love is love 
stuff or you just you just live the way you want to live all of a sudden you know from post enlightenment era where self is the arbiter of truth what what four lines is saying and what we're trying to get at here in a you know 50 years later after this book was released is that no like the heart is deceitful and it's wicked and no one can know it and so there's no possible way that the heart can be the arbiter of truth because the heart doesn't even know itself we need a rebirthed heart. We need a regenerated heart in order to know what we know. Um, and I think that's where the the aspect of holiness comes in to the picture here with the, the basic ideal um, or the basic value of ethics. But we also have love that is mentioned here um, where I think Four Lines has a, a good, a good solid way in which he defines love by defining it as an affectionate concern that motivates one to perform the action appropriate for the concern. So you can think about this in, in that there's two, two main aspects of love or two main elements to love affection and action. Um, one of the things that my dad has always taught me and has always taught people he's counseled is that love is not just this feeling that we have. It's not just the affection, um, but love is an act of the will. Now we know that our wills reveal what what we have where where our affections are placed. Um, so when we love God, we then serve Him. Uh, when we love our spouse or we love our children, like we're going to show them that in the ways that we treat them. Um, but I think this is this is an important second value here that goes along with this. That love is is again the outflowing of um again our our own pursuit of holiness, yeah, and I think in a in a culture that uses this word so flippantly, where love doesn't really mean what it what it should mean in the in the lexical form of the word, its etymology that love has just become solely tethered to a feeling, and uh, so we're hearing all today about love is love and let people just love who they want and do what they want. Four Lines helps us. It really, Four Lines was a prophet in his time and for our time. But he ties in that in that particular section on love how it has to be an appropriate affection and an appropriate action. And that it's not just any any choice, any affection that I have, because we are feeling people. God created us to be emotional, to have feelings, but those feelings have to be appropriated through truth, which is why I think it's so foundational that he begins with holiness and not with love, because holiness is the grounds by which we love. Our love is flowing out of the character of God. And with that, it has to be an appropriate affection, an appropriate action. And that affection is rooted ultimately in God's concern for the world and our own concern for other image bearers and the fact that we're, what we're dealing with today in a host of issues is not an appropriate love or an appropriate action or an appropriate affection. It is a self-centered, self-seeking, self-driven, self-motivated action that's based on a faulty affection, a wrong love. Um, it's what Augustine talks about in The City of God Against the Pagans and that great volume that our dear listener should take time to work through, perhaps. Um, but he speaks about how these two cities, the city of God and the city of man, how the city of man is full of 
love of self at the expense of God, but the city of God, those who belong to to this eternal kingdom in Christ, have a love for God at the expense of self. And that's what ethics is really getting at is we're not loving ourselves at the expense of what God has said uh, and how God has revealed himself even in time and space through the person of Jesus Christ. What we're saying is that we despise ourselves and instead choose to love God and submit our lives to him. And so when love is properly oriented around a person who is Christ, not a feeling, that's when that's when we'll start seeing radical change. What what's people what people call radical change, but it really is radical because we're, we're we'll see dead people who are dead in sin become alive in Christ and live out this new reality because they've set their affection on the proper person, and that results in proper action. So it's really only through a Christ-centered lens that ethics actually begins to take shape in a way that's meaningful that does actually encourage human flourishing. I know we hear a lot about societal flourishing and we want people to thrive, but that really only happens when truth is appropriated, love is appropriated on mm-hmm. on truth, and it's lived out through appropriate action. So I, Four Lines is great on that because love doesn't just uh, connote feeling. Love is a feeling, but love is also a, a choice of the will. It's an act of the will. It's a, it's a choice. And so loving someone appropriately means valuing them as an image bearer of God and seeing their best and knowing that their best is only connected to the person of Jesus Christ. Mike, I want to jump in here if I can, talking about love as affection and action. We see that visibly demonstrated uh, in so many ways. And I want to go to this other aspect of it, which is love as a discipline. But in the context of a married relationship, you can tell your spouse all day long that you love them. But you have to speak their love language, which may be acts of service. It may be quality time, whatever. But I'll tell you this. You can say, I love you all day long. But if you don't follow through with those actions, it means nothing. And you mentioned the word affection, Mike. And I wanted to share this as it just immediately come to my mind. Colossians 3 has been one of my favorite passages of the Bible for a long time. And Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind, your affection, the word is phroneo, on things above, not on things below. Why? Because present reality, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in Hmm. God. And verse 4 says, when he comes, we will be revealed in him as in glory. What a powerful, pregnant four verses of scripture Colossians 3 is. But going back to Mike's point, Four Lines was absolutely prophetic, and he absolutely was spot on. One of the things he says in chapter 3, page 42, that resonated with me as a minister, as a husband, as a dad-to-be, and even in the context of church ecclesiology, guys, love disciplines the behavior of the person who loves. It is not loving either of you. Both of you have children. Mine's on the way, my first, mine and Lacey's. Um, This idea that mom and dad are to be best friend and never discipline is so counter to any ethical norm, if you will. Love disciplines the behavior of the one. It doesn't feel good to be on the receiving side of discipline. And it's like the word says, all discipline for a moment seems painful, but later yields the fruitful a harvest of godliness and righteousness. So bringing all that back together, 
it really does go back to loving God and loving people. And all of our ethics flow from that great, that great commandment of loving God first and vertical and then horizontally showing that love to others. Well, it's interesting that you guys have brought so much into the conversation about the value well, the value of love. Let me say love as a value because I don't want to put a a numeric value or something like that on love, but um, of how love is self-sacrificing. Even loving God is a, a daily dying of self, right? Um, it's it's putting my needs behind me for someone else. Um, Dustin, you mentioned Colossians 3. I always think of Philippians 2. Um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more highly than you consider yourself. Do not look on the interests of yourself, but look on the interests of others. And that's what love is. It's it's putting the things that you want aside to to be what the other person uh, is is needing at that moment. Um, so, Dustin, you mentioned like marriage and you mentioned children um that is the the way in which the that action is most realized in everyday life is through like loving somebody through their love language that because ultimately what what we think is that we we know how we want to be loved and so we love people in the way that we want to be loved but the reality of it is, is we need to put ourselves aside and love them in the way um, that they want to be loved and that they need to be loved. And um, and that that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of volition. It really takes a lot of humility. It's ironic that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 comes before Philippians 2, 5, which is have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, the hum- it's Christ humbling himself, becoming a servant right after Paul has in- in exhorted the readers to put others above themselves. So let's look at wisdom because um, ethics doesn't just inform our affections. It doesn't just inform our spirituality, but it informs our mind, does it not? We are to love God with all of ourself, our total person, mind, heart, and will. And so wisdom sees the world for what it really is, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's an inseparable connection between um, knowledge and wisdom. I think they're tethered together. Someone can certainly have knowledge and not be wise, but without uh, knowledge, there is no wisdom. <clears throat> and so wisdom is simply knowing what to do. Uh, excuse me, wisdom is not simply knowing what is right. Wisdom is is the outworking of, of doing what is right. It's the application. And, yeah, and living in such a way where where truth is bound to, again, get, getting back to blue jean. Uh, uh, blue denim. But like wisdom is is getting in a pair of blue jeans and getting some boots on and, and taking, taking truth uh, in, in a way that's real. It's living it out, putting – boots on the ground, hit, you know, rubber on the road, so to speak. And so wisdom is not simply just knowing the truth or knowing what's right. Wisdom is the application or um, seeing the implication of truth affect, affect life. And certainly we, we need that. I mean, wisdom is certainly bound up within the Godhead. And we see that um, in this master plan of redemption where Christ, God in Christ is making all things new. 
and the wisdom of God, making things in this world foolish, as Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians. And so as a Christian, we know that the wisdom of the world is at enmity with the wisdom of God. But we know that the wisdom of God is is wiser than men, Paul says, and just the, the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so with that, we're, you know, when we speak about wisdom, again, this is intimately connected to God and his character and what we would call in theology the communicable attributes of God, that this is something that is bound up within God himself, but we also have the ability to, to have knowledge and through that wisdom to be wise. And so as Christians, we want to know the truth, but we also want to prioritize the living out of this truth in a way that reflects wisdom and prudence, that we're careful to think um, and uh, to have our intellect inform our reason, certainly. But uh, wisdom certainly is so needed today. I mean, it seems as though um, part of the reason we don't have wisdom is because we've lost a proper fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And so as a Christian, we, we need to maintain a proper fear of the Lord, a proper reverence for him. And a proper reverence for him is also lived out in the way in which we conduct our lives. So wisdom is such an important um, value for ethics because we're dealing with some things now that genuinely require mm-hmm. wisdom from above to be able to answer and to speak. You know, as, as a local church pastor, I, I need wisdom to be able to speak God's word into the lives of people who come often with with burdens that are too great to bear alone and too great even for me to bear with them. And so in our various places of ministry, wherever God's called us as ordinary, everyday believers, we need wisdom more than ever to be able to deal with such a rapid, fast-changing world in which it seems like there's always something new on the press. Matter of fact, I was reading, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, uh, you know, Al Mohler releases uh, this this podcast on the briefing. And one of the things he was dealing with is, is, is a surrogate, you know, those that are struggling to, to have, have ch- children, pregnancy, like, is a surrogate ethical? Is it biblical? And so, like, we're, we're just speaking into all kinds of issues that, that genuinely require wisdom, not our own wisdom, human wisdom, but wisdom from God, the wisdom from above. And uh, more than ever, we need to be we need to be immersing ourselves in into the scripture so that we can speak wisely, um, speaking truth in love, but speaking it wisely and graciously, letting our speech be seasoned with salt so that we may know how to answer everyone. And the only way we do that is is through the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. I want to read what Forlan says here. This is in on page 43 and 44. Um, here, here's what he says, and this is just so pertinent. He says, wisdom does not live in a dream world. It does not spend its energies conceiving idealistic answers on how to cope with the situations of life, but it finds answers that are workable in a world filled with harsh reality. He says, wisdom does not bow to the pressures of the crowd, nor does it yield to the temptations of sin. It sees through the vain, deceitful promises of sin. And I like this. He says, wisdom is convinced that it pays to do right. It is convinced that it pays to serve God. Wisdom was demonstrated by Moses when he, quote, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What what we're getting at, and this is what Four Lines is getting at as well, is that the ethical life is the wise life. That that if we are to live in the way that the Bible commands and that the way that God has called us to live, we have to share in the knowledge of God that leads to wisdom in life under the sun. I'll never forget preaching through Ecclesiastes um, a few years ago. We're doing it again here uh, at our church now. Um, but in chapter three, one of the things that um, that Solomon says is that God, this is the everything, God has given everything appropriate in its time. It's a time, there's time to be born, time to die. You, you laugh and cry, um, you know, that that passage. But one of the things he says in, in verse nine or 10 of chapter three is he says that God in this life has given us these meaningless qualities and meaningless activities to keep us busy. That's how the Christian Standard Bible translates it. He's given us these things just to keep us busy. And so it's it's wisdom that that stirs in us the awareness of what truly matters. So when we so when we sit down at the dinner table at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you sit, but it matters who you sit with and what you do with who you sit with. And, you know, at, when we when we sit down at a ball game, we can choose to whatever. We can choose to enjoy the game. We can choose to yell and scream, or we can choose to radiate the gospel. Like, it's the wisdom in everyday life that Four Lines is getting at here. And honestly, that that bleeds over into this fourth basic value, doesn't it? And that's ideals, right? Where where the the wisdom that we acquire shows us that there's not just objectivity and morality, but there's objectivity even in the more vague things in life. There is such thing as beauty. There is such thing as ugliness, right? Th- those things are not marred, and the 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 distinction is not blurred. You talk about the transition to ideals. That is absolutely spot on. Uh, and some of our listeners may be thinking, man, this, this stuff is too high and lofty for me. But ideals, Ben, are actually related to the perfection of God. Forlan said he is the epitome of the high and lofty. We cannot behold the perfection of God without having an appreciation of excellence. The fact that art exists, the fact that literature exists, even digital media, there is beauty and there is ugliness in all of that. And that's why I really want to dig deeper uh, with Christians and culture. And I even want to read the new book coming out by Welch Press. I haven't, I haven't ordered it yet, but it, it really gets into some of this stuff. Why should a Christian education institution care that their students learn languages like Greek, Hebrew, Latin. Why should a college care about the classical things that used to be part of education for centuries? It is because these ideals are rooted in the very nature of God and the expression of his nature, which is holiness. And that is the goal of all ethics. I think, I think that ideal is kind of the telos. 
of where mm-hmm. we're yeah. trying to go, maturity in Christ. I think it says a lot, too, that ideals we, we do as Christians, and we ought to value excellence and value beauty and value truth and value good art, that these aren't just random conversations that we're having, even for our own day and age where uh, media and music and art is just taking all kinds of shapes and all kinds of forms that what ideals really gets at is that that content and form match, right? Content and form have mm-hmm. to match. It's, it's possible to have really good content, but the form doesn't match the content. It's possible to have really good form, but the content isn't appropriate. I think what we're seeing a lot today with media, cultural media, worldly media, through the arts, through, through media, through um, literature, I mean, just a variety of things is that there's just not a lot of value on what is true and right and excellent and praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. It's like the things 30 years ago that everybody viewed as wrong are now accepted as being right. And they're, they're, the things that 30 years ago were right are now viewed as being wrong. There's been a really big cultural shift in that. But again, perhaps that's why we were living in such a time when we don't have these ideals that we're living in such an anxious, busy, unrestful era of human life, in, at least in Western civilization, because we don't have peace. We don't, we're, not, we're not very peaceful people, very happy people, mm-hmm. because we don't have a robust value of ideals that's rooted in an objective reality outside of ourselves. We're basing everything um, that is excellent on how it makes me feel. Um, or about what it makes me think. It's it's all subjective, which Paul gets to this in Philippians 4, doesn't he, when he's encouraging mm-hmm. the church to let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And he says to the church, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And then he tells them what you have heard and seen and received from me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So ideals, again, are so needed, especially as it relates to arts and Christians and culture, because we're seeing things become topsy-turvy, right? Maybe they're already topsy-turvy. Everything's been flipped upside down where art is being consumed at unparalleled um, amounts, technology, social media. I mean, it's just incredible the amount of time that we're spending as human beings on those various means, which aren't wrong in and of themselves. But there's also a lot there that we're so passively engaging with. We're just scrolling endlessly, consuming this media, which is not in and of itself passive. It is, and it has an agenda behind it. And it's shaping the way we view the world, shaping the way we view ideals, the arts. There's just so many implications for for us everyday ordinary Christians living in a world that's changing faster than we can really keep up with to value good ideals. Yeah. And to see the ideals as as an outworking of of God's character, to value what is excellent and praiseworthy, because there's a lot going on today that's not very excellent. It's not very beautiful. It's not very serene. And yeah. we need we need to get back to as Christians even producing good art. So I would encourage our listeners, God's called you in that particular area of, of life, produce good art for the sake of the world, produce good art for the sake of the church, produce good art for the glory of Jesus, because we need that now more than we've ever needed it before. 
a couple of things. I know Dustin has something to say, um, but a couple of things. I just want to like what Mike is saying, and I think I agree with this wholeheartedly. The pendulum, you know, 30 years ago was at one extreme, but now it's at the other extreme. Um, and so what these ideals do is it brings it back to the middle. It settles settles the pendulum from swinging back and forth. Um, it brings everybody back to the middle ground where we have a holy and a holistic view of excellence um, and we have an objectivity on, and morality and ethics while also holding in view a strong objective view on excellence and beauty and and goodness um, in the way we live our life. Um, and I get to thinking too, Mike, like you mentioned things like the excellence of art. Um, you, you can't, you can't hard, hard, you hardly think about that without realizing that we're, we're doing art, making a a podcast and we want to do that well. We want to do that with, with as much excellence as we possibly can, because again, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, Dustin, I know you had some thoughts, any concluding thoughts from you guys? Well, I wanted to put two thoughts in, in our in our minds here, one of which I'm actually going to journal about probably after this recording, um, the human longing for something more and mm. the rampant nihilism that is crushing people. Like, I work as a 911 dispatcher. That's what I do for my income. I do ministry for fun. Um, I would say that the biggest, biggest issue we're dealing with in my community is addiction and people don't go to addiction because they want to ruin their lives or wreck their marriage or lose their kids. They, they just feel like life is so hopeless and there's nothing more. And it results in this nihilism, which is so sad and so contrary to the gospel. But the good news is nihilism isn't true. It's not a true worldview. It doesn't answer the basic need that humans have. And so I just wanted to bring in that to say, there is an anthropological human longing for something more, and, and we have good news. That something more is found in the personal work of Jesus, who transforms not just the way we think, not just the way we feel, but the way we act, and even transforms the communities in which we live. God has put an eternity on our hearts, as he's written eternity on our hearts, Solomon says. Yeah, that's right. I think that just I want to leave with this, but it's good for us to remember that these types of ethical questions, ethical issues, the variety of things that our dear listeners are facing, the questions they have about hot button issues. We just need to remember that we can't take a neutral position on ethics. Mm. Um, We can't just resign ourselves to, to not think through these things biblically. Um, And I think it's good for us to rely on some others who perhaps are far beyond right where we are in our spiritual journey to listen to them and to value their their input, their wisdom on these types of things. And I would encourage our dear listeners, whether it's a, your, your local church pastor, a, a dear friend, whether it's uh, someone perhaps in, in the mainstream of evangelical life who is dealing with these issues, I would encourage you to, to find someone that is speaking on these issues biblically that has sound theology, but please just, we can't remain passive on these types of ethical questions and ethical issues. We have to 
take a little bit more of a foreground position than a background position and uh, be intellectually honest. You know, our faith is reasonable. What we believe is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, we, we need to just have a little bit more impetus to work through these things and to have really good thought to get with a friend at a local coffee shop and sit down and start working through some of these questions because Peter says we ought to be always ready uh, to Mm -hmm. give an answer for the hope that that is within us. And part of having an answer means that we have thought through these things. We've prepared on the front end. And uh, so far, dear listener, let's, let's take these issues and these, these questions that are prevailing all around us. And rather than perhaps being intimidated by them, Let's be motivated to take the gospel into every square inch of human existence and uh, deal with these things. And to be honest enough to say to those that that we we speak with that have differences of opinion, to be kind and compassionate to them, but to also be about seeking truth and love. And uh, that's so valuable for for today. Uh, We're always looking for answers in our human longing. We're craving truth and the world's craving truth, whether they realize it or not more than ever because of all the things that are pressing in on us. So let's not remain neutral in, in these ethical questions because we can't remain neutral. We're not in neutral. We're either moving forward or we're in reverse. And so these are prevalent questions and things we've got to deal with. And these four ideals will help shape uh, how we go about ethics. Yeah, I just want to end with uh, not Philippians 4.8. Because we've we've Mike read it and mentioned it earlier, uh, Dustin's mentioned it, but I want to I want to read you Philippians four verse nine. This is what Philippians four nine says: What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And we pray that these truths have reached you for your good and for God's glory.